The gospel reading this morning is Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be, that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Can you hear me? Maybe? Yes? Okay, great. Um, so there was an experiment that was conducted a few years ago. Um, you might have actually heard about this one because it hit the mainstream news cycle. Um, you know, the, the crazier ones usually do. But uh, it was about being alone. They put people in a room for about 10, 15 minutes, and they wanted them to just sit there, and they observed what they saw. In one of these experiments, um, they actually tested people on how, how well they could be alone without some sort of distraction. The, the lead researcher from the University of Virginia said, we, like everyone else, noticed how wedded people seem to be to modern technology and seem to shy away from just using their own thoughts to occupy themselves. That got us wondering whether this said something fundamental about people's ability to do this. So in one experiment that I mentioned, they actually put, so you sit in a room, said just be by yourself, and they put a button right next to them where they could bzz, 
They could shock themselves. And rather than be alone with their thoughts, most people chose to shock themselves. In fact, um, they were given a a little initial shock at the beginning just so they saw what it felt like. Um, Even among most people who said before it, that they would pay money never to be shocked like that again, 25% of women and 66% of men ended up shocking themselves during the experiment rather than just sitting alone quietly with their own thoughts. And I've got to say, not to be, you know, super sexist or whatever, but I'm not too surprised by that. (laughs) Uh, There was actually one guy I read in the experiment um, who shocked himself 190 times in that 15 minutes. And if I, I don't think I've ever related more to an anonymous research participant than I, than I did with that guy, <laughs> right? But regardless of gender, that's saying something about how well, how poorly we're able to just sit in silence and be with ourselves. Why is that? Spending time in secrecy, solitude, and silence is hard. But it's also something our souls need. And it's something that God actually calls us to. We're in a series um, called Drawing Near. I forget how many sermons we've had on it, but it's been for the past, I don't know, month and a half. Um, And we've heard heard sermons on several things having to do with drawing near to the Lord. And I'm going to preach this morning from the passage that Rebecca just read for us on coming before the Lord, drawing near to the Lord in secret. What does that mean? My big idea this morning is that God calls us to draw near to him alone in secrecy and silence, and he promises to meet us there when we do. Hannah Arendt was a 20th century German-born political theorist. She was also a Holocaust survivor, and she was if you've ever heard the term the banality of evil, um, she was the one who coined that. Um, but she was, she was selected uh, for a prestigious prize for her political philosophy later in her life. Um, and she was reflecting on the discomfort, her discomfort with the fact that she was becoming kind of famous. And that, um, you know, she had a larger persona than she was used to. And she noted the tendency for people to mistake what they show to other people, the persona they put in front of other people for their real selves. to mistake the mask that we put on for other people to be their true self. And she said, this is actually, I I think I got a couple quotes on the back of your liturgy. Um, She said, a life spent entirely in public in the presence of others becomes, as we would say, shallow. While it retains its visibility, it loses the quality of rising into sight from some darker ground, which must remain hidden if it is not to lose its depth in a very real, non-subjective sense. So she's saying that your private life, what you do when no one is watching, it's like the good, dark, deep soil that the plant of your life can be rooted in and grow up into some legitimate, authentic, seen life, public life. But if, if you don't have that, if you don't, if you don't intentionally use and cultivate and grow those roots deep into that darker ground, then your public life will be as shallow as your roots are. I think that's true, and I'm, I'm going to kind of use that as a um, guiding metaphor, guiding imagery this morning to say that secrecy with God, spending time in secret with God, 
is the darker ground from which the Christian life rises, from which it grows and it produces fruit. The darker ground is drawing near to God in secrecy, solitude, and silence. So we're going to look at Matthew 6 this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to sit and listen to Jesus' words, and we're going to watch what he did. We're going to answer three questions, all right? What is the darker ground? Why should we become rooted in that darker ground? And how do we become rooted in that darker ground? So what is it? Let's look at Matthew 6 together. If you want to turn there with me. Um, Verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this verse kind of places, it situates our passage in the the middle, um, almost, or getting towards the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about how do we live the righteous life that God calls us to as disciples in an age where they had a lot of shallow, showy religiosity. And it introduces his main point, which he gives, like a good Presbyterian. That's a joke. Don't email me. Um, in three points. He has three points here. First one. Verse two. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Trumpet. Thanks. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and and everybody turned back at him, right? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So he gives this funny imagery of, you know, you give to somebody that needs it, that's, that's probably begging for it on the street, and then you blow this big, you know, Bill Barr horn right in front of you so that the act can be seen by everyone. The word for hypocrite, is that's actually a Greek word. It's not even really translated there. Um, its earliest use came from the word meaning actor, like, like play on a stage actor, where they would wear a mask. Part of the word means like under, under a mask, wearing a mask. That's what hypocrite means, like an actor in a play, um, where you, you put on a mask in front of people, and then when you go back, you leave the stage, you're someone entirely different. They're putting on a mask to be seen by others. And the scary thing that Jesus says is that when you do that, when you do it intending to be seen by others, that's what you get. You don't get anything else from God. That's it. Some of us might need to be warned about trumpeting. But I suspect for a lot of us, our our trumpeting is a lot more subtle. So, knowing our human nature for that, Jesus says, verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We're so prone to self-deception, subtle self-deception. Our hypocrisy usually doesn't look like trumpet blowing, at least overtly. We can, can, you know, wear the do good deeds mask or or as we're going to see the prayer mask or the fasting mask of humility while being full of pride and false motives. I remember I had an academic awards night in college, and maybe I won something I can't really remember. Um, But I had a couple friends who won awards that I was kind of a little little salty, a little upset, because I was like, I maybe probably definitely should have gotten that, right? (laughs) And so instead of, you know, of course, being uh, at least on the outside, on the math side of me, mad about that, I got on social media and I made a post 
that um, congratulated both of them for that. I'm so happy for you. Look at these awesome people doing this, right? And then I went, we were hanging out later that night in a room with a couple other guys in my dorm room. And um, one of my friends pulls up a post from someone else that was, it was like one of those humble bragging posts, right? It was like, uh, look at all my self-accolades, and I'm so, you know, humbled to have won this award, and, you know, just kind of go a, a list of their accomplishments. And then he pulled up my post right beside it, and he said, look how humble Sam is. Look how, you know, th this other person just bragging on themselves, and Sam's, you know, he's, he's congratulating other people. And so what did I do? I sat there and I basked in my humility. <laughs> You're right. I am so much more humble than that person. I'm so great. Right? We're self-deceiving. It's subtle. We're hypocrites. But to that, to that little piece of human nature, where our hypocrisy can run so deep, Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, give. Do your good deeds. Do good things, right? I think this is, can cover more ground than just giving to the needy. Of course, that's directly what Jesus is talking about. But I think it can cover the good deeds that we do in general. And Jesus is saying, when you do it, just do it and move on. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Don't get in your head about it. Don't dwell on yourself. Don't sit and wait for people to see, especially. Just keep going. Just keep going. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, done in secret with the right intent, this can be an act, doing good deeds, giving to the poor, this can be an act of drawing near to the Lord. And so he moves on to prayer, applying that same principle of drawing near in secret. So, uh, look with me at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. There's that imagery of the, of the mask, right? They've got their mask on so that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that, that word for room there, um, it, it kind of referred to like a storeroom, which was usually an inner room of the building. It didn't have any windows. Um, it was private which is why some translations say closet. That's probably the closest thing um, to our context uh, that we can you know, identify with that word. Some translations say secret chamber, which I prefer because it just sounds really cool, right? Like go into your secret chamber and, and pray. But the point is, go somewhere where you can be in private with the Lord and draw near to him in prayer, just you and the Lord. Nobody else can even see it. And then he gets into explaining how to pray. And I'm not going to get into the weeds here because uh, George Stulak already preached on prayer. It's a part of the series. And he did a really good job that I'm not going to try to, you know, lap over. But I do want to highlight three things. Three, I don't know, kind of um, maybe obvious things about the Lord's Prayer that I don't always notice about the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus is doing here. Um, one, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's super short. It's super short. I'm not... I'm not it, I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't saying long prayers are bad with this, but he is saying that God's not going to hear you more or pay more attention to you if your prayers are an hour versus the 18 seconds I clocked myself at reading the Lord's Prayer at. Sure, it's sweet, meaning that the words are, you know, there's, there's just few words, 
but they're deep. There's a lot of depth. You could go on an entire sermon series. There's been entire books written on the Lord's Prayer, right? But it's deep. There's a lot of meaning there. It's simple. In contrast to the many words, it's, the words are simple. They're not big words. They're not trying to impress. They're not trying to draw the attention of God the Father with prideful or eloquent speech. They're short, they're sweet, and they're simple. And that's what prayer out of the secret depths can look like. Out of the darker ground of secrecy can have this kind of authentic personal communion with God that comes out of the dark, that comes out of the solitude, that comes out of silence, as we'll talk about a little bit later. And finally, fasting. If you want to look with me at verse 16, he says, and when you fast, so there's an expectation that you fast here, and Jesus also sets that expectation in other places, so I'm not going to dwell on that. That's getting outside of my big idea, but I, I, I will just stop there to say we should practice fasting in, in differing ways maybe from each other sometimes, but we should practice it. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They made sure people knew how hard they were struggling for God. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So this is not saying, you know, look better than you're normally doing. Like that was normal for them to wash their face and put oil on their heads. That was contextually what they did. So if you normally wear makeup or shave or put on moisturizer or brush your teeth, whatever you usually do, do it when you're fasting when you're struggling. And just like with giving, I think we can draw this application out a little bit farther to other things we do that are a part of, um, as the Puritans would say, mortifying our flesh or putting to death our sin or some other act of obedience that puts us in discomfort for God. And he's saying, and I think we uh, drawing that out a little bit farther, if you're doing that, that's great. Keep it secret before God and he'll reward you. Now, taking all this, this stuff that Jesus says in these 18 verses together and stringing them together, what's, what's his point? I don't think Jesus is condemning all forms of drawing near to the Lord or doing these things in public. There are times when we let our light shine before others so that they might give glory to God. Scripture also says that. There are times when Jesus prays in public and um, other disciples pray in public. There's times for communal fasts. Uh, there some of those called for in the Bible. We've, I think we've done a couple of those as a church in the past couple, couple years, haven't we? So I'm not saying those are bad, but the principle he gives is that there should be aspects of your relationship, your walk, however you want to put it, there should be aspects of your spiritual life that nobody else knows about other than God. Keep it secret before God. There should be secret parts of yourself with the Lord. What are obstacles that we face when it comes to this? So, so what's, what's keeping us from doing that? Well, one is this specific obstacle that Jesus is taking on. We still do that, kind of like I just talked about, right? We, we, we um, have religious showmanship today. We have superficial religion today. It looks subtle in us sometimes, but we still have that. And I think that's just as much in play right now as it was back then, even if it looks a little bit different for us. I think another obstacle to drawing near to the Lord in secret is that we, we have to be alone with ourselves, which I mentioned at the beginning from that experiment is not easy for us. I think all of us can struggle with us, but for some of us, the only 
experiences that we have in secret are bad. The only experiences we have alone are negative. For some of us, maybe our, our only secret lives are dark in the worst sense of the term. Sin loves to hide itself in the secret, secrecy of our private lives, doesn't it? Addictions, lust, pride, anger, judgmentalism, sinful worry, sinful doubt, discontentment. I could make a really big list there. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. So there's that sinful aspect of secrecy that we all know to some extent. But there's also people that, and some of us, that only know brokenness, like the effects of sin. It's, our brokenness also loves to show up in our secret lives. Anxiety, depression, trauma, shame, comparison, the hurt from being sinned against. And those, those things, they also love to hide in the shadows of our secret lives, just waiting for them, waiting to poke their heads up. Somebody asked what I was preaching on this week, and I said secrecy, and they were like, oh, like that's, that's bad. This is going to be a doozy. Because of what I just mentioned, we automatically categorize the word secrecy as negative, don't we? This leads me to another obstacle that we have from drawing near in secret, which is noise. Because in secrecy and solitude, we, f we have to face ourselves. When those things that I just mentioned poke up, we want to, you know, just like that uh, whack-a-mole game, we want to find some distraction, we want to find noise so that we don't have to deal with that. We'll run to any distraction that will keep us from getting real with ourselves and with God. Do you do this? you struggle with this? Last week, um, I, I was driving home, and my phone died. And I usually like to, when I'm driving, I like to listen to podcasts or music or audiobooks or something like that. But my phone died, and I instinctually turned on the radio. And I was driving down 64, and then I, I came to the realization, why am I listening to the radio? I hate the radio. So I turned the radio off. And it, it just struck me how weird that was for me. Like how, how weird it was not to have noise distracting me. It's almost like with all the noise we surround ourselves with, it's, it's like we're trying to distract ourselves from something, isn't it? That's why the bright rectangles in your pockets or on your walls or at your desks hold more sway than the silence. That's why people shock themselves rather than sit with themselves the lead researcher in that experiment attributed the human need for distraction to mere evolutionary biology. But thinking that there's more to people than what biology can tell us, I think the addiction to noise starts in our souls. And that's an obstacle to drawing near in secrecy and solitude because there's a necessary silence that comes with that. Scripture often connects drawing near to the Lord with the need to quiet ourselves. We see that often in the Psalms. You can see that in the Psalms that Jess used in the call to worship. So there's the darker ground and the obstacles to it. But why, why should we even pursue it? Why draw near to God in secret? A few reasons. One, because of our God-given grace. So we went through Jesus's, part of Jesus' sermon, Sermon on the Mount, where he talked about our need to draw near to God in secret. But Jesus was no hypocrite, right? Jesus drew near to God in secret prayer and fasting for 40 days before he even began his ministry. And then he resisted the temptation of the devil. 
And in doing that, he was playing the part of the the second Adam. The one who resists temptation and follows God in perfect righteousness, though he was tempted by the devil, like we never could. He didn't do that out of a hurried life. He didn't do that out of a shallow public mask. He did that out of the darker ground that he had just spent 40 days praying and fasting before God. And then we, we see plenty of times where Jesus, you know, the madness of the world and tragedy encroaches on Jesus' life, and so he withdraws. When John the Baptist died, he was close to, we loved, Jesus withdrew. But it wasn't just in sporadic events. In Luke 5, we see um, Luke saying, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, that word for often means often, means frequently, he frequently withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Finally, Jesus prays in Gethsemane before his torture and crucifixion. And from what I can find, the only insight that we ever get into Jesus' secret prayers, secret time with the Lord, is here where we know that Jesus says, Father, please let this cup pass from me. And he's, the Gospels tell us he's sweating drops of blood and he's alone. All his friends that he has to stay up are sleeping. And eventually when they took him and they tortured him, they were nowhere to be found. They all left him. He was alone. And Jesus, it's Trinity Sunday, the second person of the Trinity, even though there was no break within the Trinity, was in a very real way alone in his crucifixion. He said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Isaiah 53 tells us it was the, it was the Lord, it was the Father's will to crush him and make him suffer. Why? Because the Lord was placing on him the iniquity of us all. All alone. For those sins that you've done in secret. For those parts of your secret life that you, you have kept hidden, that were done in the dark. For all those words and thoughts and actions that few or few people or nobody knows about. You know, and if, if we were... Pro- We don't have a projector, but if we were to put a screen up here and project them, you might never show your face again. For all those things, God put the deserved wrath for our secret sins in the cup, and Jesus drank it all for you. And you do not have to bear those anymore. You do not have to bear the weight of those anymore. Why did he do that? Part of that, the answer to that question is found in our passage in Matthew 6. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the reward? Well, if you do these things to be seen by others, then the reward is that they see you. That's your reward. If you do these things to draw near to the Lord, then the Lord will see you. That's that's your reward, drawing near to the Lord. Or to put it in other words, your reward is God. That's a result of the gospel. So we should become rooted in that darker ground of drawing near to God in secret, not only because that's what Jesus did, but because that's what Jesus died for, which allows our God-given reward of God's, God himself, God's promise, relationship with God. Another reason, as if that weren't enough, that we should draw near is our God-given fellowship. So we have to ask the question here, is this just like a, 
you know, me and Jesus individualism. Because in our culture, that's what we're tempted to, right? We're, we're, we're tempted towards individualism. Just kind of a, you know, I don't, need, I don't need you guys. I can do this. Me and Jesus are good. Is that what this is? Because I, you know, I'm sure you all fondly remember, I, I preached on individualism a while ago. And I said it's bad. So is that what this is? I don't think so. I don't think so because the individualism that we have is an expressive individualism. I, I, I have desires within me and I want to pull those out, my, my individual desires and thoughts and feelings, and I want to express those over and against everybody else, over and against the community. But what this is talking about is drawing near to the Lord in secret as a way of expressing our belonging to the body of Christ, like the one that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, right? That we're all members of the same body attached to the head, which is Jesus. And even in that quote from Hannah Arendt about the need for the rich, darker ground of our secret life, she's saying that the darkness of secrecy that conceals us from others is necessary if our public life is going to be more than just the superficial show of, you know, and mask wearing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the 20th century German pastor and martyr, wrote a great book on Christian community called Life Together. Recommend it. But it's, it's interesting that in, in this book, which is considered by many people to be one of the greatest books ever written on Christian community, it's interesting that he has a, a, a really large chunk in there about being alone with God. He, in this book about drawing to the Lord together, he has a whole chunk devoted to drawing near to the Lord alone. And I want to read part of it. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and, play, and pray. Alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself, even though we try with those distractions I was talking about, right? You cannot escape from yourself, for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you can have no part in the community of those who are called. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. We recognize, then, that only as we are within the fellowship can we be alone, and only he that is alone can live in the fellowship. Only in the fellowship do we learn to be rightly alone, and only in aloneness do we learn to live so what he's saying is, that was a lot, but what he's saying is there's a mutual relationship between our drawing near to the Lord alone in secret and what we're doing right now, drawing to the Lord together in fellowship. You're drawing near to God in the darker ground of secrecy will grow up above the surface and bear fruit in the communal life of the fellowship before God. The life of the fellowship needs your life of secrecy, solitude and silence before the Lord. I need it from you. You need it from me. There are plenty of times in life where I feel spiritually dry and numb and I come out of the prayer closet empty, right? But in our fellowship, especially in those times, I mean at all times, but especially in those times, I need you prayed up. I need you seeking the Lord. I need you seeking God's face in the quiet of Tuesday morning by yourself before everybody else gets up or on the porch 
alone on Saturday night. We need each other seeking God's face so that we can use and preach and encourage and admonish God's word to each other rightly. And how much of a difference would make if this became real for all of us? How much of, of a difference would it make for our small groups? How much of a difference would it make for our evangelism and our mercy ministries? How much of a difference would it make for the arguments that we have sometimes necessarily with each other? How much of a difference would it make for our kids and our vision and our healing process that we're going through, about to go through? How much of a difference would it make for our gathered worship if we came into our fellowship out of the darker ground of secrecy, grown and molded in silence and meditation before the Lord, prayed up and deep in His Word? On to the last question I had. How do we become rooted in this darker ground of drawing near in secret? First, we follow Jesus and we withdraw that's a word that's almost always used when Jesus goes to be alone with the Father. And there's a reason for that. Life doesn't make it easy. It's not going to say, hey, here's this hour. Here you go. Here's, your, you know, here's everything you need. Just sit down and be. That doesn't happen. Life is crazy. If you don't pursue aloneness with God, it just won't happen. We're all so busy, aren't we? Oh, I'm too busy. Well, without sounding too, I don't know, finger wavy or paternalistic. Can I say that Jesus had a lot to do too? Can I say that Jesus had a more important job than you do? Whatever you do? Can I say that Jesus' life was probably crazier than yours? And yet he needed to withdraw. Oh, I don't need to do that. Me and God are good. We're like, you know those friends that you have that you don't talk for a really long time and then when you talk, you're just you know, it's like you never missed a beat. Yeah, that's what, that's what me and God are like. Well, can I just say, especially again, Trinity Sunday, Jesus was of one, we say, homoousion. He was of one substance with the Father. He was with the Father in the beginning, John 1 tells us. He had, he had this eternal relationship with the Spirit and the Father. And yet Jesus, even Jesus, needed to withdraw Spend time alone with the Father. We need to withdraw. We need to set time aside with planning and intentionality and care about our relationship with the Lord. Second, we need to pursue silence and meditation, which sometimes we can see as dirty words for different reasons. But we can find calls to them throughout Scripture and especially in the Psalms. Like I said, with um, you know, just, just to throw some out there. Psalm 4, tremble and do not sin when you are on your bed. Search your hearts and be silent. I think this is Psalm 62. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. And also you can see those psalms from Jesus' call to, call to worship. And then for meditation, we can see Psalm 1. But who's, um, it's, it's, it's uh, highlighting this person who's blessed. Blessed is he whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Psalm 19. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Psalm 119, it talks about meditating on God's law and his word and his precepts. Meditation is practiced throughout church history and even in the Re Reformation. It's not, you know, we, I think we kind of get scared of it because there's like Eastern connotations of like emptying your mind and stuff like that. But in scripture, it's, it's, a, it's not emptying your mind. It's a focus. It's a quiet focus of your mind on the word of God. If you have no idea where to start with any of this, 
Now, if you have next to no experience with this and are intimidated, ugh, intimidated by it, well, first, I, you know, I, I think this is where the fellowship comes in handy, so maybe ask someone that's older and farther along in the faith than you are. But just right now, practically, can I suggest starting small? Take five minutes a day and keep it simple. Read a psalm. Spend some time in quiet meditation on it. And then pray a short, simple, sweet prayer. Then you can build up from there. That works for you. And you might at point, points in your life, like Jesus, need some extended time and solitude before God. And I encourage going to and listening for the advice of the fellowship around you. They might tell you when you need to do that. Well, there's some practical things that we can take here. And we'll have an offering time today. We always have an offering time today. But I encourage you during this offering time, apart from just the very obvious application of our text about giving, I'd also encourage you to make a withdrawal plan this week. What could drawing near to God in secrecy and solitude look like for you this week, this month, this summer? Lastly, and I, I really don't want this to sound like a, you know, I'm getting up here and I'm waving my finger at you guys who don't ever do this. I don't want, I don't want to make this that kind of sermon. There's a, there's a tendency I found in some, like, evangelical ministries and, like, especially college ministries when we're teaching these things sometimes for the first time to make it a thing where it's, like, really rigid. And if you, if you don't do it every day, if, it, if you miss it in the morning, then your whole day is thrown off because you're... You know, you feel guilty about that. You feel shame for not doing it well enough or, or missing it. And that's not what I want to push here this morning. I'm saying this darker ground of drawing near in secret to God is a gift. It's given to you. You get to do it by the blood-bought grace in Jesus. It's an opportunity to get the reward, which is God himself. It's an opportunity to get to meet with God in silence and solitude and be grown by him in a way that will grow you up and help you love God and others. Let's pray. God, most of us come here and we're, we're so bad at silence. We're so bad at sitting by ourselves. We'd rather shock ourselves. We'd rather distract ourselves. We'd rather hide. We'd rather do so many things. But there is a sweet communion to be had with you. There is a joy in fellowshipping with you alone, and we pray that you would help us do that this week. Help us, Lord. Amen.